wise are you? Call out for insight. And cry aloud for understanding. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Hey, good morning, Journey. Welcome to those of you here in the auditorium and those online. It's uh, great to see you on a beautiful day and uh, great to be here with you. I love coming here, and so it's great just to be, to be in this room and see you. I really appreciate all the great work that uh, Bob and Brian are doing and leading our fellowship in these uh, unusual times, and uh, it just... Uh, it's just significant just to be with fellow believers who are edifying Christ and living out their faith in these, uh, in these times. Uh, as, uh, as Brian mentioned, I am, uh, I'm now professor of Christian leadership over at Yellowstone Theological Institute. Uh, I retired about a year or so ago, and my three children told me that I had done a very poor job of it, and I might as well go back to work, and so <laughs> I did, and... Uh, so I'm teaching classes like basic leadership, entrepreneurial leadership, leadership in conflict. Uh, YTI is, uh, tagline is uh, where faith meets adventure and the arts. So one of our professors is actually an adventurer who has spent the entire summer climbing mountains. And I uh, thought that's a, that's a little, different, uh, little different model of uh, education that I come out of, and it's exciting to visit with him. So... Uh, you could look online at Yellowstone Theological Institute if you want information on that. Our theme today is uh, wisdom. I titled it, He Chose Poorly. You remember that uh, little scene out of uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade where uh, or one, of the, one of the characters in that movie is trying to pick out which cup Jesus drank from. And he picked the wrong cup. And so the knight says he chose poorly. Following Christ isn't just about getting my sins forgiven and getting to heaven. It's about living wisely as kingdom people in this world. If getting to heaven was the only thing, then, then as soon as I become a Christian, the whole point would be, well, I could just die now so I can get to heaven. But we all have a life calling. God intends for us to live a life that mirrors his love and his grace. And so that's part of what wisdom is. So we're going to look at that theme of wisdom this morning. Uh, we have five grandchildren, and uh, we took some of them to the Dairy Queen recently. Their ages are seven, seven, six, five, and three. And uh, one of the seven-year-olds is Camden. We were in line in the drive-in, and uh, Camden noticed ahead of us a person paying through the drive-in window, and uh, Camden said, if you give more money than it costs, they will give you money back. And Grandma said, you know a lot about life, don't you? And Camden said, yeah, I've been in it for a long time. 
Wisdom is about learning about life and how to live wisely in life. Now, in the Bible, there are at least three narratives. One of the definitions of a narrative is a series of stories, events, or people that reveal a theme. And there's at least three narratives in the scriptures. One is what, what I'd call the grand narrative. That's the narrative of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Starts in the book of Genesis where God created the world and he created us and we were designed to live in fellowship with him and then man fell and sin entered the world. And in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 we have the first record of God's plan to bring a Messiah. And then God picks Abraham to be the father of the nation from whom the Messiah will come, eventually the Israelites. God saves them through Joseph and the famine as they move to, uh, move to Egypt. And then that nation grows and the Messiah in the Gospels is born from the lineage of David, originally from the Israelite people and Abraham. And so we read in the Gospels about Jesus being born and living in this world and dispensing grace and love and teaching us and then dying on a cross for our sins, rising again, after rising, showing himself to his disciples, ascending to heaven with the promise that he will return and that we'll rule with him and that through faith in this Messiah, in Christ, we can have forgiveness, eternal life, a purpose in life. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the grand narrative of Scripture. And so we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that's the grand narrative. There's a second narrative. That's the kingdom narrative. Whether we're in the Old Testament and how Israel, Israel lived or in the New Testament and the kingdom of Jesus Christ, there is a narrative of wisdom in the Bible of how to live as kingdom people. Now, kingdom simply means a dominion, a boundaried dominion which has a ruler. So I've spent a lot of time in England and uh, England has a queen. They either have a king or queen at any given time and they have they have ways. If you live in that kingdom, they have ways. If you're around them, they, have, they, they drink lots of tea. It's one of their ways. They eat with their forks upside down. It's one of their ways. They, they shovel with a butter knife. They shovel with their knife food onto the back of their fork. I always look, I think, well, why, why do they think the fork is bent up? That's so I can, but that's their way. They have, they have ways. They drive on the left side of the road. If you lived in that kingdom, you would see all the ways that are part of the customs and culture of that kingdom. The Bible says God has a kingdom. Jesus established a kingdom, and his kingdom, part of his kingdom is it has ways. There are ways to live. There are ways to live in marriage. There are ways to live as parents. There are ways to live as sons and daughters. There are ways to live with money and at work and in life calling. There are ways to live about our character and our relationships. There are ways. Then there's a third narrative. That's a personal narrative. And while the ways of the kingdom are for everybody... The Bible says that it is a living book 
The Bible says that if you become a follower of Christ, you come, move from death to life and you are a living person in the kingdom. And there is a dynamic, what Francis Schaeffer calls moment by moment interaction with the living God. And as you and God and the scriptures move through life, there is a moment by moment interaction. And you might be under, for example, difficult pressure. Perhaps you have been treated unfairly. And in prayer, the Lord brings to your mind the story of Joseph. And you begin to read Genesis 37 through 50. Now, Genesis 37 through 50 in the life of Joseph is for everyone. But for you on that day when you prayed, it is God through the Holy Spirit saying, this is for you today. And so you are writing a personal narrative. And so this morning we are looking at that second narrative, the kingdom narrative of how to live in the kingdom. Now these are uh, not easy times to live in, are they? There's two traits of this season, even without the health issues going on. One is speed, and the other is unfamiliar terrain. And you know anything about driving, you know that speed and unfamiliar terrain are not good partners. Because to go fast in a, in a road or on a road that you, don't know, you do not know with any familiarity is always dangerous. But these are dangerous times. I like baseball, and so I'm glad baseball has started up again. There's an old story about the baseball umpire, Derwood Merrill, in his first year of umpiring in the major leagues. He was a rookie umpire. And it was the first time calling a game with Nolan Ryan on the mound. Nolan Ryan had the fastest fastball in Major League Baseball during his time there. In the second pitch of the game, it was so fast that Merrill not, did not even see it. And he froze. Everybody waited for the call, and finally he just yelled out, Strike! At which point the batter backed away from the box, turned to the ump and said, don't feel bad, I didn't see it either. <laughs> now, it may seem sometimes that that's the speed with which life is going. One sociologist said, human beings were not designed to live at the pace we are being required to live with all that's going on. Scientific information doubles about every 10 years. General information doubles about every two and a half years. In the last two or three decades, we've accumulated more knowledge than in the previous 5,000 years. One weekday edition of the New York Times includes more information than the average person encountered in his entire lifetime in the 17th century if they lived in England. When I was born, or when I was about 10 years old, movies were 75 cents, a cup of coffee was 5 cents, a first class stamp was 3 cents, 9% of the households had TVs, a chocolate Hershey bar was 15 cents, a new Chevy was $1,200, a year's tuition at Harvard University was $525, and a computer cost $500,000. Because only a handful of companies had mainframe computers. In the first 
40 years of radio, they were able to accumulate 50 million listeners. It took TV 12 years to accumulate 50 million listeners. It took the internet, internet four years to de develop 50 million users. Speed. But not only is it speed, it's unfamiliar terrain. Of the Fortune 500 companies in 1955, 70% are not even in existence today. By 1979, 40% were not even in existence. One third of all Fortune 500 companies will be nowhere to be found in seven years. The average lifespan of a company that reaches the Fortune 500 is now not much more than 40 to 50 years on average. These are the greatest companies in the world. Speed and unfamiliar terrain. We bought a new car about a year ago, Chrysler from Billions. One day I thought, I haven't seen anything up on the dashboard. I wonder where I'm supposed to change the oil. And so I started looking through the manual and there was no information in the manual about oil change. Then I remembered I'd been getting these emails from Billionato. So I went back and I looked at the email. And here the email told me everything I needed to know about that Chrysler on a monthly basis if there was anything that needed attending to. That car hit a deer a few months ago. I got a little notice on my email immediately. Engine needs attention. <laughs> I thought, how does it know? I'm afraid to have conversations in the car for fear. <laughs> How does it know? It knows because the average car today has anywhere from 50 to 100 computers in that automobile. Unfamiliar terrain. I still like to write with a pen on parchment. <laughs> so these are exciting times for me. And that brings us to Proverbs 9. The first nine chapters of Proverbs are a composite, a condensed, tightly woven declaration about wisdom. It's about kingdom living. What's it like to actually live in the kingdom of God? This is what it's like to live. And at the end of that nine chapters is chapter 9, and that chapter is a call to two things. One, an invitation to choose wisdom over folly. Number two, the declaration that we must choose. Neither one just automatically have. We must choose. And so we're going to look very briefly at that chapter this morning. Let's read the two invitations. The writer of the Proverbs uses an example of a woman for each invitation. Here's the first invitation. Lady Wisdom has built and furnished her home. It is supported by seven hewn timbers. The banquet meal is ready to be served. The lamb is roasted. The wine is poured out. The table set with silver and flowers. 
Having dismissed her serving maid, the Lady Wisdom goes to town, stands in a prominent place, invites everyone within the sound of her voice. Are you confused about life? Don't know what's going on? Come with me. Oh, come and have dinner with me. I've prepared a wonderful spread, fresh baked bread, roast lamb, carefully selected wines. Leave your impoverished confusion and live. Walk up the street to a life with meaning. Notice how inviting that is, how appealing, how it calls to us. But there's another invitation. And we could call this the call of the wild. This invitation says, then there's this other woman. The message says, Madam Whore. Another translation says, a woman of folly. The word folly means senseless. You read in the newspaper, you hear on TV, a senseless murder, a senseless tragic event. That's the that's the meaning of folly, stupid, tragic, out of order, against the grain of the universe, careless, reckless. Not all folly is sin, but all sin is folly. Then there is this other woman, brazen, empty-headed, frivolous. She sits on the front porch of her house on Main Street, and as people walk by, minding their own business, calls out, Are you confused about life? Notice the comparison. Are you confused about life? Don't know what's going on? Steal off with me. I'll show you a good time. No one will ever know. I'll give you the time of your life. But they don't know about all the skeletons in her closet that all her guests end up in hell. It's a couple things I regret at this stage in my life. One is I did not pay attention sooner. These two invitations are invitations to pay attention. That stuff happens if we're not paying attention. I didn't pay attention to things sooner. The other is that because of that, I feel as I look back, I was a slow learner, a slow starter. And so here we have these two invitations. And you, even today, you can say, you know, I'm going to choose the path of wisdom. I'm going to begin to choose wisdom. Winston Churchill said, the key to learning is appetite. How fast and how much do you want to learn? What is your appetite? Dennis Kinlaw, been president of Asbury College, says, I'm so glad I lived into my 80s because I didn't really even start learning till I was 70. For my first class at YTI, I'm teaching a course on biblical narrative. In the last six weeks, I've, I've read 23 books related to that topic. Not just because I like to read, though I like to read, but because I am pursuing wisdom in that theme. I, along with my son, have signed up for the GLS that comes later this week. I signed up because there are things yet to learn. Because I'm teaching and I'll be teaching a lot of young people, I emailed Chris Townley, who was once one of the preaching pastors here. He's younger than I am. And I said, Chris, when you're up in this area, can we get together? I'd like you to give me some tips 
about intergenerational teaching. Do you have a passion, an appetite for learning? Or do you think when you get married, happiness is just gonna, gonna happen? And you don't get married for about eight years. But in most marriages, between year eight and 12, something hits the wall and it's not pretty. And if you're lucky, one or both of you will have a light go on and you'll think, man, I, I, I got some stuff to learn here. I didn't even see some of this coming. I need to start paying attention. I was once at the home of Wally Hilgenberg, who had been an outside linebacker for the Minnesota Vikings during their stellar Super Bowl losses. <laughs> and uh, he had retired from the Vikings, but he had taken up professional fishing, particularly bass fishing. So much so that in his lovely home on the southern suburb of, La, of, of Minneapolis, he had built a bass lake. And so he said to me, hey, when have you got some time? Why don't you go fishing with me? We'll go bass fishing. I said, yeah, that sounds great. You know how, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. He even called me two or three weeks later. Said, hey, have you got some time? Do you know, I never took him up on going bass fishing. I look back now and I thought, what was I doing? Changing the world as we know it? I mean, what was so big on my calendar that I couldn't just say yes, set a time, and go bass fishing with Wally Hilgenberg? I think, how did I not see that? And there are people who sit in their chairs at home or at a coffee shop after devastating difficulties in their life, knowing some of it could have been avoided, and they think, how could I have not seen that? How could I have not seen that that attitude repetitively displayed in a relationship was going to be catastrophic? How could I have not seen that using my money in this way over a repetitive period of time was going to leave me in this kind of humiliating predicament? How could I not see? And so, the end of this Chapter says we have two choices. Listen to a description. If you reason with an arrogant cynic, you'll get slapped in the face. <laughs> Confront bad behavior and get a kick in the shins. So don't waste your time on a scoffer. All you'll get for your pains is abuse. But if you correct those who care about life, that's different. They'll love you for it. Save your breath for the wise. They'll be wiser for it. Skilled living gets its start in the fear of God, insight into life from knowing a holy God. It is through me, Lady Wisdom, that your life deepens and the years of your life ripen. Live wisely and wisdom will permeate your life, mock life, and life will mock you. You hear the choices? The choices we're being invited to make about our character and our life purpose and our relationships. So let's finish up with just two examples. 
and we'll be done this morning. Example of wise living, look at the life of Joseph. One of the things about both wisdom and folly is repetitive behavior. Here's Joseph. Joseph was born to his father late in life, and so his father favored him, and because of that, his brothers hated him. But early on, we find Joseph serving his father. His father says, hey, the the boys are out taking care of livestock. Why don't you go out and find them? Let me know how things are going. Joseph serves his father. But when he gets out there, they decide they're going to kill him. And then they decide they will sell him to a caravan going by of Midianites, and he is carted into Egypt. But you know what we find in Egypt? He starts serving there. He ends up as a servant slave in Potiphar's house. Potiphar was a captain of the guard for the Pharaoh. And he begins to serve Potiphar so well that the Bible says Potiphar gave him charge of all of his affairs. But he was betrayed there, not only from his brothers, now from Potiphar's wife. The Bible says that Joseph was a handsome man and she wanted to lay with him and he wouldn't lay with her, so she lied about him and Potiphar sends him to prison. Now he's in prison, but you know what he starts doing? He starts serving the warden. He serves the warden in prison so well that the Bible says the warden gives him control of the prison. And now two new prisoners come. One was the cupbearer and the other the baker of the king. And you know what Joseph starts doing? He starts serving them. In fact, the warden puts them under Joseph and Joseph starts serving them because they both have a dream. Joseph interprets their dream. To the baker, he said, in three days, the meaning of this dream is you'll be executed by the king. To the cupbearer, he says, you'll be restored to favor. He says, but when you're restored to favor, would you remember me? The cupbearer goes back to the palace, forgets all about Joseph, until two years later, two years, the Pharaoh has a dream, and the cupbearer remembers Joseph had interpreted his dream, and so Joseph is brought before the Pharaoh, and Joseph interprets the dreams of the Pharaoh and says there'll be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. The Pharaoh is so impressed, he puts him in charge of all of his affairs so that Joseph stockpiles food so Egypt survives the famine. But in the famine, the brothers who had betrayed him come to Egypt because their family is starving. And now Joseph has his treacherous brothers in front of him. But he says to his brothers, do not be afraid. You meant it for evil, but God has used it for good. And he saves his brothers. What piece of wisdom can we learn from that? That a man who puts his faith in God and serves others consistently will be favored by the Lord. I was listening to a podcast where Alec Baldwin was interviewing Wynton Marcellus, the statesman of jazz music in the United States. And Wynton was talking about his father. And he says, he says Wynton says, I, I'm not even the best musician in my family. My two brothers are better musicians than me. And my father's a fabulous musician. And he says, as I began to grow older, my father would take me to little gigs that he would do. And sometimes he said he would play in some lounge and there'd only be three people there. 
But he says, my father would play his heart out because, he said, my father had an independent sense of integrity that his craft required and deserved that kind of respect. And Joseph had an independent sense of integrity. Foolish living? Well, we're going to use a believer because it gives us some hope. You can look at the life of Peter. Peter, who became one of the first great leaders of the church, the first few chapters of the book of Acts, has, has him as a leader. But for a long time, Peter, like me, was very slow to pay attention, very slow to understand. And so in the last 24 or so hours of Jesus' life, it, had, it was a catastrophic sequence of failures in Peter's life because he simply would not listen Jesus takes the disciples into the Last Supper. He begins to wash the feet of the disciples. Jesus, oh no, no, you can't wash my feet. Jesus says, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part in what I'm, what I'm about to do. Oh, then wash my whole body. No, I don't know. I don't need to wash your whole body. No. Jesus says, now, one of you will betray me. Peter said, oh, not, absolutely, not me. I'm, you can count on me right to the end. Jesus turns and said, before the, before the rooster crows three times, you'll deny me three times. There they leave the Last Supper. They go out to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, under the weight of the impending cross, asks the disciples to tarry and pray, and he takes Peter, James, and John further into the garden. He says, Pray and stand with me. The Bible tells us that three times Jesus comes out and looks at his disciples and every time they're sleeping. Gripped by the urgency of the hour. Finally, the guards come to arrest Jesus. Peter now, oh, a bundle of action, cuts the ear off of one of the guards. Jesus, Peter, this isn't, this isn't the way. No, he's... Jesus heals the ear of the guard. Jesus is taken away and out in the courtyard before Pilate's hall. Peter denies the Lord three times. The Bible says after that he went out and he wept bitterly. Even after the resurrection of Christ, when Peter meets Jesus, Peter is hearing Jesus tell him how Peter is going to die. For the cause of Christ. Peter looks over to John and says to Jesus, Well, how about him? <laughs> and Jesus says, What is that to you? I have a little piece of paper I write on regularly when I have my devotions in the morning, and many times in a week I write this phrase, What is that to you? Because I can get caught up in everybody else's life instead of. What is my obligation before the Lord today? But scripture says reproofs are the way of life. And so as Peter began to accept reproof, he became the leader God, Jesus always saw in him. How about you? None of us are ever one thing. 
We may be stellar and wise in one area, but a fool in another. And few of us will learn in isolation. Do you have an appetite for wisdom? For kingdom living as God intended it to be? Not simply, not simply to avoid catastrophe, but to be a beacon of life and hope to those you love and to others you meet. This is the redemptive purpose of wisdom. And I think that's what the Lord has for us this morning. Why don't we bow our heads to pray? Our Heavenly Father, every one of us in this room are in need of wisdom, maybe in different areas of our lives. And sometimes we're seduced into thinking we don't need it because we're succeeding in some areas. Lord, we thank you for the areas of life in which we experience life and success. We pray that you'll give us an appetite to let that wisdom that comes from above where all good things come, to let that wisdom permeate even the areas of weakness in our life. Because we place our faith in Jesus Christ who is our Savior and Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.